its structural perfections matched only by its hostility. Even artificial persons are impressed. It preys on man. Don't need no special suit, don't need no nukes, and don't need no artillery to rip right through your chest. Aliens just stayed inside a living human host and have some concentrated acid for blood. They mostly come at night, mostly. Their fate depends on whether there's an airlock, whether they're in space, and whether there's a chick who's just too fast to be cut. But the pros have come to fight. Hello world and welcome to Cartridge Club Portable, where it's not the size of the game, it's how you play it. I'm your host, Curtis Freisel, and this month my very special guest host is Duke from Retro Nonsense. How you doing, Duke? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again. Absolutely. When, when was the last time you were on? We did uh, Luigi's Mansion uh New Moon, is that what it's called? Uh, Dark Moon, that's right. Dark Moon, I'm sorry, yes. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, glad to have you back, as always. You're a, a very prevalent member in the Cartridge Club, as well as Retro Fandango's boner. <laughs> that's me. So, I'm glad I could steal you away from them for a moment to have you on my little <laughs> humble podcast. Uh, so this month is a very special month. We played Aliens Infestation for the Nintendo DS, a game that you've been looking forward to for quite some time, huh, Duke? Yeah, yeah, I've been after you for a while to, to uh, give this game a shot because uh, I'm an absolute huge fan of it. So I'm glad you finally got a chance to play it. So well, I'm it, eager to talk about it. Absolutely, and it wouldn't have happened if it weren't for you. You were kind of the the champion for it. You were you were putting it out there, and you've been telling me this for years. I mean, this is the third year of the Cartridge Club, and you've you. I think you said when we were taking initial suggestions way yeah. back before we even started this was one of the games you said right yeah i think so yeah for sure and i know one of the reasons that we haven't done it until now was it's kind of a hard to find game it's very it's a it's a popular game you don't you don't see it a lot and yeah and i I stumbled upon it i i didn't it kind of more recently has crept up in price and has has become more i guess sought after but i I just kind of found it at a GameStop for for like 10 bucks or something when i got it Oh, that's a that's a great deal because you go to conventions and stuff and you find this. It, it, you're lucky if you find it in box for less than fifty. Oh yeah, I know. You know, it's it's one of those games, so it's 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 hard to come by. And I'll admit, I had to I had to resort to the internet to buy it. I'm I'm usually <laughs> that's kind of my rule is like you don't buy games on the internet. It's the thrill of the hunt. You go out there, yeah. you go to conventions or local game stores. I'm a big proponent of that. I just I'm the same I, way. could not find it for the life of me, so I had to resort to eBay. And uh, I'm just putting it out there right now. I'm sorry. Uh, Poser. Small business owner gods, forgive me. I had to buy it on eBay. But I did find it, and I'm I'm very happy about it. So, um, And the other thing is, 
this this game, I, th- I think it's the perfect time to play this game because it's 2019. The original Alien film came out in 1979. It's the 40th anniversary. Like, what a perfect time to do it. And we're getting it in right at the end of 2019. So it just, I don't know. I feel, I, I like those anniversary years, you know, like when you can bring something back. Um, and we, and we'll talk about the, the films in a little bit. Uh, when, when, when this, when, Alien came out, Duke. How how old were you? Did you see it in the theater? What were you like? Graduating college then? Hey now, um, <laughs> the original Alien. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, it came out in seventy seventy nine. Seventy eight nine. Okay. So I was I was uh, four years old. <laughs> so okay. I did not see that in the theater. I was not allowed to see movies like that when I was young. I did see it when I was young though, over a friend's house. And have since ever since been a huge, huge fan of the franchise. Uh, Alien franchise is my favorite movie franchise of all time, probably second to Star Wars, I'd say. Okay, but um, I am a huge, huge Alien movie fan. I was gonna say you you must have been in that kind of prime kid age when the Alien films were coming out. You know, Aliens yeah. the sequel came out in '86, so you would have been what t- about ten then, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yes, I was 11. And yeah. this was back in the 80s when R-rated movies had toys and stuff connected to them. Mm-hmm. You get the, oh, the yeah. Rambo knife <laughs> and you know Terminator toys and Aliens toys. So yeah, you were perfect. Okay, yes. so the, the seeds were planted early with you, Duke. Definitely, definitely. I can see. Well, as luck should have it, we had someone else reach out to us about this game. And uh, while I normally only have one guest, I wasn't going to deprive you, Duke, because I know how much this game means to you. Uh, and you and you practically threatened me to be on this podcast, so I wasn't I wasn't yes. going to deny you that. Um, but I wasn't also about to deny this other person's request, and I'll tell you why. Because he's the director of the game of the month, Aliens Infestation. That's right. I want you guys to give it up for Adam. Am I, and I hope I'm saying this right. Tierney. Yep, that's it. Did I say it? Yes. Hooray, Adam. <laughs> welcome. How you doing? Good. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. Well, thank you. And we should tell the story of how this all came to be. And I believe it started with you, Duke. Is that correct? I will take credit. Yes. So you reached out on Twitter and you were saying, hey, when are we going to finally play Aliens Infestation? And I believe at that point is when you, Adam, somehow saw this tweet. Maybe you can walk (laughs) us through that. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Infestation, it's, it's funny. It's one of the games I've directed at way forward i've probably directed about a dozen games here over the past 15 years and i always seem to kind of forget that we worked on that for whatever reason it just doesn't you know pop to memory as as often as some other ones and so you know i i thought like oh i wonder if people are still talking about that and i think i just happened to do a a a twitter search at the time that you guys were talking about it and and saw your post and then replied to it that's that's so weird you know just that kismet thing it was just it was meant to be so you reached out to me and you said hey can i be on the podcast (laughs) of course (laughs) why why would i say no you directed the game this is amazing we can pick your brain about this game and then of course you know like you said you work for way forward and way forward way forward is now becoming one of those uh is that i guess a developer or publisher that is kind of reaching that status where it doesn't matter what they put out people are into it you know a la atlas or uh working designs one of those companies where oh, it's, cool. it's just people love everything they put out and i and i think the same can be said about way forward obviously their probably most 
famously known for maybe Shante right now. I mean, Shante's mm-hmm. killing it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of a way forward fanboy geeking out right now, too, if you'll oh, allow thanks. me. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and uh, I don't know if many people know, but I was totally a way forward fanboy uh, before I worked here. I've worked here for 15 years, but I remember back on IGN when there was a, um, it was the pocket section, IGN pocket. And Craig Harris was always posting little tiny, you know, super compressed MOV videos of, of Shantae and Wendy the Witch and some of their earlier stuff. And, and I was such a huge fan of the animation of those and the gameplay of those. And so I basically, you know, a couple of years later sort of wormed my way into the company. I've been here ever since. Well, that's amazing. And it's funny because we, you know, we played the original Shantae. I think it was this, within this last year, we played the original Shantae for CC Portable. And then we just recently, last April or May, we played uh, Thor. Um, oh, cool. The God of Thunder, which you worked on, which is, uh, again, small world. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, you you don't know it, but your carbon footprint has been left quite a bit <laughs> on CC Portable. I'll have to make up for it. What are you like a pay a carbon tax and, and undo the footprint, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're very happy to have you here. And uh, why are we here? That's for aliens infestation. So why don't we jump into this discussion? We got lots of questions for you. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm happy to answer whatever you guys are wondering about it. Absolutely. So a little bit of backstory on the game before we begin. Uh, It was originally released in North America on October 11th, 2011 for the Nintendo DS. It was developed by WayForward Technologies, as we mentioned, and Gearbox Software and published by Sega. So talk about a trifecta of awesomeness right there. It's a 2D side-scroller, often dubbed a Metroidvania game, as it shares many similarities with both of those franchises. And that's about it. This game is... Out of control, uh, Duke. <laughs> why, why don't Why don't I get your first impressions from you, Duke? Uh, let's Let's sure show a little love. Well, I, I'll say that for me, being a huge fan of the Alien, Alien franchise, this this game captures the soul of, especially the second movie, Aliens, more so than any other franchise game that I've ever played. It just perfectly kind of takes that the heart of that movie and makes it this perfect, you know, 16-bit era side-scrolling action game. And uh, I, I kind of, like, see it as almost like an expanded universe, like a graphic novel-esque kind of expanded universe kind of thing for me. That, that's, that's how good it is for me, that it's almost like a, an expansion of, of that film. Uh, I know there's other there's elements of, of uh, the first film in there as well, but I, I kind of see, obviously, with the Marines and all, it, it's more, I think, taking the soul of the second film. But I right away, the first time I played this was like, this is awesome. This is like, I'm <laughs> in the movie. This is like, it's just so well captured the, the heart of that movie. And that, that initially just really stuck with me. And then, oh my gosh, all the nuances outside of that, the sound, the sound editing or, you know, it, the, the authentic sounds that you hear for the movie, like the tail whips and the machine gun sounds. Yep. Just, just so, uh, so well done. The cat scares. And, <laughs> yes, the, the cat. The, it's obviously not Jonesy, but the Jonesy type cat in there. And just all that stuff just um, made this such a fun, fun game to play, especially for someone who's such a fan of the franchise. So when I finished it, I was like, oh, my gosh, that was such a fun, amazing experience. One of the one of the best, especially portable game experiences I've ever had. So I, I am a huge fan of this game. 
and uh, bravo for putting something like this together that is so polished and so tight with all the Easter eggs and the little subtle hints to the, you know, <laughs> the things that only true fans are going to know. All those little things like that made, made this game just such a joy to play. Oh, thank you so much. Of course. Yeah, and I think I echo the same sentiments as Duke. Uh, everything he just said, I, I'll say ditto to that. Uh, Adam, my first question for you is, how, how does a project like this end up in your lap? Is this something that you make a pitch for, or does someone come to you? Maybe fill us in on the behind the scenes of how a game like this gets started. So with a lot of the games at WayForward, it's it's a little, you know, it, there are many different roads that can lead to game opportunity here. Sometimes um, the publisher or the licensor will come to us and say, hey, we like what you guys do. Can you make a game based on XYZ? Sometimes it's a game that we really are passionate about ourselves, and so we'll pursue it and either connect with the publisher or even license it ourselves now that we're self-publishing a lot. Um, with this one in particular, if I remember correctly, we had done um, Contra 4 on Nintendo DS a few years before this, and that was sort of like, you know, resurrecting the brand, and it was just, you know, some of the best pixel art we've done, some of the best gameplay we've done, and um, I believe that Gearbox saw that, and they were already in production on the uh, console and PC Colonial Marines game, and I think that they had a deal with Sega to basically do the console one and also produce the handheld one. And so they saw what we did on Contra and thought, oh, that would be perfect. Like, you know, this is very much in line with with what a uh, DS Aliens game could be. Um, and then they reached out to us, and so we were, of course, very interested. We did a, a few little pitches, but it was not a hard sell. I think they were kind of like, you know, uh, already kind of decided that, that they wanted to collaborate with us on this. So I think there was very light pitch materials, maybe just a, a document or two and just some high level ideas. Um, but yeah, they, they liked what, uh, you know, we were on board, they were on board. And so basically Gearbox and then Sega both kind of, uh, subcontracted way forward to do the companion game to the big colonial Marines game that they were working on. Um, and then uh, I don't remember exactly what we worked on this, but I remember, um, you know, most of the games that way forward, and especially the handheld games we do, usually only take about a year to produce from starting the production until totally wrapping it and submitting it. And because the console game kind of got delayed and, and you know, um, you know, pushback and all of that, I remember that it ended up, uh, our finished game ended up sitting on a shelf, virtual shelf, for I think about a year or so before we finally came back to it and they were ready to uh, publish it. And at that point, um, you know, we'd be, I, we really wanted to get it out as quickly as possible because I think that was kind of starting to get to the tail end of the DS's life cycle. And the 3DS, I think, was coming up or maybe even had been released at that point. Yeah, I think, so we, yeah, yeah. I think the 3DS came out in 2012, if I remember. It was right yeah, around that time, yeah. Exactly. And so we wanted to get this thing out because we didn't want it to feel like an old game. We wanted it to feel like something that was, you know, fresh with, with the current gen of, of, of handhelds. So, um, yeah, so we finished the game, worked very closely with Sega and Gearbox, um, and then uh, and then it got paused temporarily. And then eventually what ended up happening is they decided uh, to just separate the two. So it became rather, you know, throughout development, we were called uh, Colonial Marines. It was just Colonial oh. Marines, the, the DS game. But hmm. then at a certain point, it became uh, Aliens Infestation. Um, Sega decided to release it on its own and untether it. 
from the console game because at that point the console game was still being worked on and they you know luckily didn't want the the ds game to just kind of sit and and waste away so it, it came out as its own thing but there's also like little bits of overlap like I, I don't remember the character's name but the girl you encounter first and you save her from the alien i think that was a character that tied into the colonial marines game and so they were meant to kind of cross over in little bits and pieces in their story gotcha um and so you you, you kind of had more freedom then to to do what you wanted after they untethered you no i mean by the time they untethered us the game was done okay so we, yeah yeah we, that's yeah, what i for the entirety of development, um, we thought this was the companion piece to Colonial Marines. And I think we did a little bit when we, when we, you know, went back into development, I think we maybe, you know, aside from quality uh, assurance testing, I think we might've tweaked a few things on some of the bosses and enemies, but yeah, for the most point at that, at that point, the game was already done. Oh, interesting. Yeah. See, I've never played Colonial Marines, so I can't speak to the, the similarities. Um, if I'm not mistaken, that wasn't received very well, was it? The Colonial Marines I, game? I don't remember. I remember there was some controversy about trailers versus the finished product, but I, I don't remember how it panned out. But I, I remember that there was something about that. But you know, our game, luckily, um, uh, Sega and Gearbox kind of let us go pretty far out in defining our own story, defining our own characters, so it, it was able to kind of stand on its own as a, as a separate game. Well... Yeah, thank God for that, because this one came out great. <laughs> you know, I'm wondering, I've always wondered this, because this is a, a licensed game, you know, it's the, the alien property. You say you said that Sega and Gearbox came to you guys. Yep. Did, who, who came to them, or did they go to, you know, the studio, what was it, Fox, uh, yeah. and pitch them? Or does, like, Fox say, hey, we want to make an Aliens game? How, how does that start i think and and i might be wrong on this um but i think that at the time basically sega had this long overarching deal with the aliens brand and um so yeah i mean in you know in in biz dev sometimes if way forward wants to make a game based on a movie we'll you know hit up the licensor we'll hit up a fox or a disney or whatever and pitch our idea but i i want to say that i think sega had some broader deal for many years to do several aliens games and this was just kind of folded under that umbrella um since then i don't think it's a sega thing anymore because i i've uh, uh you know we have contacts at, at fox and we're always talking about different types of brands we could work with and i think that aliens is now just back with fox slash disney but uh but at the time i think it was basically um any aliens game that would come out for this stretch of time this you know five years ten years whatever the deal was would have automatically been a sega game gotcha <clears throat> so you guys come aboard, you know, and maybe for some of our listeners out there, and and a little bit me, if I'm being honest, uh, I'm wondering if you can kind of shed some light on what exactly a director of a video game does. Because I think a lot of us, when we hear director, we think of, you know, like a movie director yep. with the with the jodhpurs and the, the beret and the megaphone <laughs> and the pencil-thin mustache barking orders. Yep. I, I feel like that's probably not what a video game director does, but maybe you can enlighten us so i think it kind of varies per studio so i know because i worked at a a few places very briefly before way forward and the way that a lot of other studios that i saw worked is they have the creative director who's essentially like the lead director making a lot of the creative decisions per game and then the individual project directors are more kind of deputized to kind of just realize their vision um i think 
that from what I've heard and from what I've talked to people, that's more of kind of a Western, you know, approach to game development. I've heard that WayForward has what's more common in kind of Japanese game development, which is, you know, the individual director is almost more like kind of, you know, auteurs, um, you know, realizing their own visions. And so within WayForward, we have our directors, but the director also, um, depending on the game size, depending on the staffing, um, will usually be their own lead designer, will usually be the writer, often will be the art director. And, you know, so it kind of almost usually, not always, sometimes we have games that are a little more collaborative or, you know, come with the brand already comes with kind of like, you know, a predefined idea of what it is. But usually whoever's listed as the way forward director on a game is kind of coming up with almost everything in the game and shaping it. And then as far as the, uh, the different roles, so the best way to put it is a, a designer um, and designer can be confusing because designer can mean somebody who makes the levels and places enemies, but it could also be somebody who figures out what the game's going to be like. Um, speaking of the second version of that, a designer or lead designer on a game is equivalent to like the screenwriter in movies. So basically that's the person that sits down and thinks, okay, for aliens, um, what are our enemies going to be? What are our bosses going to be? Where are the locations? They're obviously working with the director, but they're kind of specking everything out in great detail. Um, a producer then is the person who basically makes sure a game gets done. So they tend to do less focus on the creative and more focus on what is our spending? Do we have the staff we need? Is everybody working, uh, you know, uh, effectively? Does anybody have any problems or questions? Are we hitting our submissions or milestones, things like that? And then the director is sort of the person that needs to shape the game as it goes. So again, a lot of the times the designer and director is the same person. So then you're just getting this, you know, clear vision of from that one person's head and everyone else is kind of, you know, taking, uh, uh, you know, jumping on from there and kind of adding their own spin to the, the pieces as well. But directing uh, specifically on its own is basically, it's very reacting to stuff. So the dire the designer um, puts down what is, you know, going to be the uh, an enemy or a boss. And then somebody, usually the director will do an animation list for it, where it's like, okay, well, these are the attacks. So he needs to do, you know, this jump and this attack and this get hit and this death. They're kind of figuring all that stuff out. That goes to the animators and then it comes back to the director. So on Aliens, it would be, you know, I would say, okay, the Gorillion. Um, I want him to have this kind of attacks. My designer, who is Cole Phillips on the game, would flesh those out. The animators would animate it. They'd come back and I would say, okay, we'll tweak this, make this more aggressive. I don't like how this looks. This looks good. Expand this. And then once we get the animations, then it goes to the programmers. And then the programmers get it working and it comes back and we say, okay, well, he seems a little too aggressive or maybe you could, you know, add this behavior or what if he did this? And it's just very reactionary. And so it's kind of a nebulous role, but it's all of the little tweaks because um, every game is just awful when it starts. So it's like, you know, you that's, that's basically what development is, is you do a first stab at it and it's like, oh, well, that sucks. Well, what if we did this and what if we did this and what if we remove this and hey, forget that idea I told her earlier that was totally wrong. Let's go back to the way it was before. And it's just that kind of nudging and nuancing. Um, and that's basically what the director does for 12 months or however long the, the game cycle is. And it really is just a matter of pulling out everything you dislike about the game, 
getting new ideas with your team and introducing them, realizing what you always had in your mind and, you know, kind of just those little nudges and pushes. And then hopefully where you land at the end of development when you run out of time is is something that's pretty close to either what you had in your mind or, or something that you like as much as you would have. Do you have the final say then on the decisions? Like, you know, say you don't like the design of a character. Can you, you you're the one who says give him bigger arms or give him a longer tail is that is, does the buck stop with you definitely as far as the creative stuff so yeah i mean like you know the producer like if i'm gonna say like oh you know what would be cool if instead of six enemies we had a thousand enemies then my producer's gonna say no we're not gonna do a thousand enemies. <laughs> right. so stuff that jeopardizes the money or the schedule it becomes more collaborative stuff that you know, it would be impossible to code. The lead programmer might say, I don't think we can do that. We could do something else. But yeah, creatively, it, it at least at way forward, uh, the buck stops with the director. Now, the exception, of course, is the licensor and the publisher. So ultimately, right. the people that are paying the money, and the people that own aliens, if they don't like an idea we're doing, you know, we'll come back at them and say, well, what if we tweaked it like this? Or, you know, how about if we change this thing here? At the end of the day, they can just say, we you know, we've given you a few shots. We do not like this enemy. Please remove it. And that's the end of that. So um, it's a little bit, uh, you know, you kind of pick and choose what to fight for as far as your vision, how far to push things and when to give up or when to be collaborative. Um, but yeah, as, at least on the way forward side, the director is kind of top to bottom, the, the final say on the creative aspects of the game. I was uh, very curious about what you just talked about. I was going to ask you about that. Um, I'm, I'm much a layperson when it comes to game development, so I don't know much about it at all. But I was curious as to how much you have to get approval from, I guess it's Fox in this case. Do they have to read every line of dialogue and approve it? Do they have the final say in every aspect of how you represent their franchise? Or do you have a, a creative freedom, more creative freedom than that? It really depends on the partner. Um, so, yeah, we've worked with some licensors and publishers. I mean, we've done DC, Marvel, Barbie, SpongeBob, everything you can think of. And some of them are really laid back. Some of them are just like, oh, man, yeah, you came up with cool characters and story. Just run with it. Some of them get very meticulous and they're like, you know, crossing out and rewriting half the words mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, with this, it was great. I mean, we basically, you know, at the beginning of production, we did a deep dive on, on aliens. Um, obviously we already had seen all the movies and we knew all the lore, but you know, just to refresh ourselves and kind of what we realized doing that on this is, um, you know, we, we, we also kind of picked and choose. So I think, I think our, our makeup was something like, you know, probably 80% aliens, maybe 15% alien and then like 5%, like just a few yeah, bits and pieces from either Alien 3 sure. or the the Paul Anderson, you know, I think we had his version of the Xenos in there. But um, yeah, with something like this, the whole kind of hook was the, yeah, I, I rewatched um, uh, James Cameron's movie and I realized, oh man, this is essentially just a slasher movie. And, it, you know, it's the first half of the movie. They make these super charismatic, super fun characters you just fall in love with all of them and then the second half of the movie they just kill them off one by one so it's just it's totally you know Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street or anything like that so we said if we're going to do something that feels true to form we have to do the same kind of thing and so that's basically kind of was the start of, of what we wanted to do with the game is we wanted to come up with the 20 marines you can play as and 
give them really amazing personalities and names and and we wrote the script once but we rewrote it in all their voice so whoever you're playing as they have different lines and stuff really just make you totally fall in love with those characters so that then when you lose them and they die it hits you as hard as it did you know with some of the characters in the james cameron movie and and uh, and and we actually had to we had to fight for that there were you know at various stages kind of push back on like well does it need to be permanent or you know, what if they came back later in the next level and we're like, no, it's, it's gotta be, you know, you know, they, you gotta lose them forever. And, and we even went so far as like on the roster, it does like a big red X over their face just to like, you know, rub it in your face. Like this person is dead. You will never play as them again. But yeah, we really want to do something where it's, it, it really amped up the story and personality so that players felt that loss when they lose them. And then they have to move on to the next Marine and the next Marine and, and you know, uh, that, that sort of, uh, of an ebb and flow as far as like, uh, getting them. But yeah, so as far as the story, I don't remember if we ever specifically pitched that idea to Sega and said like, Hey, we're going to do this multi thing. I think it just kind of came up organically and they were super fine with it. Um, you know, with every submission, we are usually submitting once a month. And so we would have shown them all of the, you know, first character designs for enemies and players, um, all of the, uh, the bosses. And then as things get animated, we show them the animations. And then as we write the script, we would send them the script. But I, from what I remember, I don't remember that many notes really from Gearbox or Sega other than just kind of digging what we were coming up with. Hmm. You know, you, you mentioned that you watched James Cameron movie uh, before you were making this game or while you were making this game that's what I'm wondering about, like the, the prep, what, what did you do to, to get amped up for this? Did you watch all the movies? Did you play the other games? Like what, what did you do? I don't remember us playing the other games. I mean, obviously we're, you know, we know like AVP arcade and stuff like that. Um, but it was mostly the movies and, and then it was just myself as the director, uh, David, our lead programmer and Cole, our lead designer. And I think the three of us just really talking about, what we wanted to do for the game, what would make it feel legit aliens. Um, and then of course, what was nice is just, there was so much lore and this was before Prometheus. So, you know, this was just with kind of, you know, the original, you know, four movies and then the mm -hmm. AVP movies. So, but even within that, there was so much to bite off in terms of, you know, Whalen yutani and, and, you know, robotics and synthetics and all this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, whenever we do a game, whether it's like a DuckTales or whether it's a Barbie, we always try and do a deep dive as far as the lore. We want to do something where whatever, you know, whoever is playing the game, that should feel like the ultimate game for them. So if you're, if you're going to play an Aliens game on DS and it's like, okay, we're going to try and do something that lives up to the, the James Cameron style from the second movie, we don't want to leave anything on the, on the floor. We don't want somebody to say, oh, man, they should have put this enemy in or, oh, what if they had the power loader? Why didn't they put in the power loader? You know, we want to put in everything that would you know, get somebody that was a fan of that brand excited and that could fit into the gameplay. So, yeah, it's really just watching the movies, having conversations, and then figuring out, okay, well, we got to have a cat scare. we got to have power loader versus queen moment and the, you know, jettison out the airlock and, you know, coming up with, like, all these little moments where, you know, it's either an homage or it's kind of like, you know, fan fulfillment. Because, you know, the James Cameron movies, it, as far as I remember, I don't remember. I mean, there might have been an Aliens game that was based on the movie, but I don't really particularly remember one. So it's a lot of kind of that fan fulfillment of, 
now you get to play these moments and these kind of tropes and these characters and, and these themes that have always just been a movie up to that point. I think it really was Aliens 3 or Alien 3 that most people remember as being kind of like the the earlier Aliens games. Obviously, yeah. there was some before that, yeah. dating back even to the Atari 2600. You know, there was right. that, that was the very first Alien game, which played a bit like a Pac-Man clone, you know, yeah. kind of right, a, right. a maze yeah. game. Great. Duke, did you play any of those? I have the uh, Alien game for the Atari. It's I figured you must. <laughs> is, is it good? How, how does that it's one? It's very good. It's a Pac-Man clone, but it's yeah. it's great. It's a good game. It's solid. Um, and yes, the uh, Alien 3, I think uh, the NES era, NES had a couple of Alien games. I think uh, Alien 3 was on the NES, right? Yeah, yeah. NES and the yeah. Super Nintendo and probably the, the Genesis as well. Uh, which leads me to my next question because I, I I cannot describe how perfectly the Alien and Metroid kind of uh, play style <laughs> complement each other, and mm-hmm. I'm wondering how you guys settled on that. You know, it was from what I remember, it was a lot of experimentation. So I think that when we first started, it was just kind of treating the xenomorphs as a standard enemy so you'd go in a room and they'd jump at you and they'd swarm at you and stuff and and it was the little things that we came up with along the way that made it feel true to form so i mean one of them was we decided early on that we wanted to differentiate the different movie aliens as different enemy types so we wanted to have the creepy ridley scott alien and have him more of like a stealth you know emerging from the shadows creature as opposed to the more modern James Cameron or Paul W.S. Anderson aliens where they're more aggressive and they're more soldiers. And, you know, so we, we, that was one thing that I think splitting it up like that helped. Um, when we started really playing into a system where um, they would, uh, you know, not just attack you, but would uh, either hide or they would like come out of the air vents and, you know, once we started at stacking all their abilities, coming out of the air vents, coming out of the floors, um, running on the ceilings, you know, chasing and surrounding you. And then I and then I remember what really sewed it all together was when we implemented the, um, the motion tracker. And uh, the first time that we when we first put that in, we tried to do it more just sort of a, of a literal thing where it's like, okay, it's going to beep and it's going to have dots on it as you get closer to them. But then later on, we, you know, it would, it just, it didn't make sense. It's just like, all right, or it's just always beeping when there's somebody in the room and the information didn't really work that well. But once we decided to kind of abstract it a little bit, and the way that we did it is we made the motion tracker almost a one for one for like the room layout. So as you're getting closer, you're seeing the blips and you can kind of tell where the alien is. They haven't spawned yet. They haven't popped out. And, yep. you know, and then we also made the, the proximity really close. So, I mean, you had to get pretty damn close to their hiding spot to make them come out. Then we started to see people playing it similarly to, you know, how they're moving through the movie. Like you almost move slower and slower, the closer you get, you get tenser and tenser. And, you know, you just, it, it inches to a, almost a stop right before the alien comes out. And so, yeah, once we got all that stuff together, it, it, it worked really well, but it was a lot of just, yeah, experimenting and stacking their behavior, their mobility, how the motion tracker would work, how the aliens would flock together. Um, I remember at one point, uh, the programmer Eric, who was doing the enemies, uh, color coded them. And this is not a 
in the final game it was just for testing but you could actually as the aliens were running around you could see them turn red when they were aggressive you could see them turn yellow or green when they were kind of you know going into more of a flight mode and it was interesting to see them kind of like fading back and forth between these different behaviors that ultimately made them feel very close to, to how they do in the, in the movies. Kirsch, you, you talked about how this game is a Metroidvania-style game. We have, to, we have to bring this up. It's yeah. no surprise that my favorite game franchise is Metroid. And it was one of the reasons is because it borrows heavily from the Alien franchise. Yeah. So in a neat little circle here, it's, it's so cool that the Alien game is mimicking a Metroid game. Yeah. Um, so I just think that's so cool. <laughs> it's kind yeah, of the, the snake eating itself, Aurora Boris or whatever. You <laughs> and, know? Yeah, we, 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 we just did it again as well. We did a, a, a game based on the Mummy movie, loosely based on the Mummy movie, the Tom Cruise one. And it's very Castlevania on the end of the Metroidvania spectrum. Well, of course, Castlevania was based on the Universal Monsters. Uh-huh. And so, again, it's like, you know, we're doing... Castlevania is doing the universal thing and we're doing the universal doing the Castlevania thing. Yeah. Well, one, one thing I'm curious about is I I thought you guys did such a great job utilizing the, the dual screen, you know, the Mm -hmm. bottom screen is the map or the uh, items and weapons. You can switch between that. But one complaint you often hear associated with the DS uh, in particular is the implementation of the stylus controls. Mm. And I was just wondering uh, what your approach was to handling that feature and if there was any pressure from Nintendo to include stylus? Because there wasn't a whole lot, and I thought what you did use was just perfect. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, we, we worked with Nintendo. You know, we were on DS right from the start. We were on 3DS right from the start. You know, Wii U, Switch. We, we, we have a really good relationship with them, and they've never really forced us to use any features. Like when you, when you talk with Nintendo, the way they do it is it's just like, Hey, here's the exciting stuff. And you know, they really, you know, at least in working with way forward have kind of left it up to us. So there wasn't really any push to use the stylus. And I think the stylus in particular, when you're designing a DS or a 3DS game, it's such a big decision because you have to pull that thing out. And when you pull that thing out, now you don't have a, a hand with, you know, thumbs for a, 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 a uh, buttons and so it was a you know on this one we just said that it's just it's just not going to work for the type of gameplay we want to do we want to do a very arcadey thing so you know in the implementation of this we made sure that um that all of the touchable objects were very big and fat and so it was very easy to thumb over and even when you get into like some of the more minor things like switching out your tools at least the the thumbable area was big enough where you didn't need to use the stylus and then of course we had the the knife game from um aliens we uh, recommended a stylus for that so that was a fun little mini game oh, um, and we'll talk but, about that in a second I, <laughs> yeah that that's wonderful and uh, uh but yeah aside from that no no pressure and it was just really it just it's always just what feels right and so we've done games where they are more stylus driven or they are you know they take more advantage of whatever is kind of the bells and whistles of the current nintendo system but this is one where it just it didn't feel right to have the stylus out because it would have limited you too much in your abilities and that was the other thing you know the mobility on this character was pretty deep compared to what we did at that point so we're dealing with stamina meters dodge rolls backwards strafing and aiming and aim locking and climbing into vents and doing you know leaping lunges and stuff so it's it wouldn't have been possible to do that sort of stuff effectively if there was a heavy stylus component i agree 
Did you question too? I, I'm pretty sure I I noticed this, but when you say you're shooting an alien and you're really close, and they get blood on you, does your meter, your health meter, go down? Oh yeah, every every pixel of that acid blood is damaging if it gets on you. <laughs> I, I love amazing. that attention to detail. <laughs> yes. I think when I realized that, I was like, this game, they they did it right. Like that yeah. that is such a small. You don't have to do that. I don't even know if any other Alien games that came before this did that, or, or at least the you know Super Nintendo, the ones we were kind of mentioning before. I don't know yeah. if they did that, but that is such a, a neat little thing that you might not even notice when you're playing the game. Uh, I just... Yeah, and I mean, it's stuff like that. I mean, that that's kind of the the mentality of, of the directors at WayForward is look at the source material and mine it for anything that's applicable and satisfying for games. And I think that if we didn't have that approach, if we didn't, you know, do a deep dive on the lore and read all the materials and rewatch the movies, then you'd, you'd miss stuff like that. And then, you know, what you don't want is you don't want to read a review where somebody says, man, why did they do this for the life system when the anime has this, you know, you always want to like realize or, or uh, go past um, people's expectations for the games. Do you play test the game? Does the director like play test the game? Is that another one of your million duties? Yeah. In fact, that's probably, you know, they're doing that more than anybody. So everybody else is implementing everything. Um, but yeah, the director is constantly playing it. Um, you know, in, in back in, when we had, uh, when we were in production on aliens, it would have been, you know, asking for a build and they burn it to a cart and everything. Now it's a little more automated, at least for the console stuff. We have like, uh, what's called build servers that are automatically generating new builds of the game every time that there's uh, new, uh, code or art uh, implemented. So the director can just grab it several times throughout the day. But yeah, definitely, you know, at the beginning, I would say in the first half of development, it's a lot of communicating what the feel and the style of the game is going to be and then giving feedback on the builds. And then toward the end of development, the director is usually just playing the game for eight hours straight and then just giving feedback. But it's just a lot of playing and it's just shaving off the rough edges and putting in the cool little nuances and stuff like that. But yeah, a huge part of our role is just playing and reacting and seeing how things came out. Do you get worn out on that? I mean, you know, I, I imagine when you first jump into that it must be pretty fun to finally see this game coming to life but do you get to a point where you're like oh my goodness i don't want to play that level again not really because i mean you're essentially trying to make your ultimate game and so you know very rarely will i play a game where i'm bored by the level or bored by the enemies because i you know, and putting them there in the way that's most exciting to me. And if it was boring, then in the early builds, I would say, oh, this is boring. We should change what we're doing here. We should add more elements. So, you know, it, 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 it you know, it, it definitely feels like, okay, I'm playing this game for the 30th time um, by the time you hit the end of development. But uh, yeah, I never really get bored. I, I think the only, you know, maybe if you were working on something where you just really didn't like the brand at all, or, you know, where it's just kind of, helping out and, and it's more of uh less of like a passion project than maybe um but even then it's you know it's it, it, even when we do like barbies and spongebobs and stuff we try and make them have pretty good gameplay fundamentals so yeah i don't really i don't really get bored of it um because every time you play through it you get new ideas for oh if we could just add this or if we could just tweak this or hey what if we took this guy and flipped this thing upside down and so you can constantly reinvent and up until you run out of time yeah 
this game's got plenty of nods to the Alien franchise, as we've mentioned. You know, there's the space jockey and the flamethrowers. I just want to say, you know, I think the the term fan service gets thrown around a little too much nowadays, and it's got kind mm. of a negative connotation. Uh, but you, you guys, and I'm just, this is really just a compliment. You guys did such a great job, like you said, incorporating all these cool moments from the movies and make making them playable, it felt like, for the first time ever. Um, I think you guys did a, a really great job on the fan service, and I don't mean that in a negative connotation. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I I really like I like tropes in games, and I like fan service stuff. I mean, you know, you can make it annoying, but I think as long as you're coming at it from, you know, the perspective of a fan, and and you know, really dissecting why 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 is this the moment that you know is always remembered in this movie or why is this everyone's favorite character? And, you know, definitely with like the Marines we came up with, um, we wanted them to be exaggerations, you know, so they're all bigger than life personalities. And it's like, you know, any kind of character you like, it's like, Oh, I like the, the nerdy chick, or I like the, you know, the, the big, you know, uh, heart of gold, you know, buff guy. It's like, like you, we wanted to kind of have those kind of not stereotypes, but those kind of tropey characters from like, you know, genre movies because they're very satisfying. And, and I think if you, um, I think if you play some of that stuff too subtle, it just will feel interchangeable and it, and, you know, it won't feel like it, it has a purpose. And again, just, it's looking back to Cameron's movie. It's like those characters were larger than life all the moments are larger than life. And so just really kind of following suit on that with the game. Yeah. You hit that on the head. I think, I mean, with, with the, the kind of a little bit more of a campy feel, I think that was a perfect tweak for this kind of game. It really kind of amped up the fun. And I can attest to you what you were talking about before with the emotional attachment to the characters that, that is, that's very true because there were characters when they died, I would stop the game and, and go back so still be alive i did not want certain characters to die and there were certain characters that i wanted to be there when i beat the game so i yeah. did become attached to the characters and yeah they were very well written they were and again they were campy and kind of over the top but i really like that emo girl the best she was she was oh amazing. yeah she's she's my favorite that's zoe kennedy yeah. yeah that was one of the ones uh cole phillips our designer wrote the script and then because we had to rewrite it 18 more times, we divvied it up. She was one of the ones I came up with. Um, I, I love her. Yeah, if we ever got yeah. to uh, do another Aliens, if we ever got to do another Aliens game, uh, Zoe would definitely be in it. And that was an interesting one, too, where I realized, you know, because the way we end the game, I don't want to spoil it too much, but basically you finish the last boss and objective, and then there's just kind of, uh, you know, it's a series of dialogues. And um, when I was writing hers... It, it was essentially, you know, she decided to like stay behind and kind of like risk her life or even give her life to help others. And up until that point, she'd always been kind of a little bit more of a snarky, selfish character. But I love that. I love the idea that it's like, well, you know, we're not really changing the scripting or the animation or the cinematics, but just by tweaking the dialogue on this character versus this character versus this character, we can kind of give you alternate endings in a way. Um, so it was really fun to play with that stuff. And it made it so fun to come across these characters because it could have been a little bland. But now when you lost a character, you were upset, but you were like, oh, well, now I get to meet another one. So it really, uh, really. And I'll tell you, that was actually one of the toughest things in development because I remember Sega and, and Gearbox, they were so totally on board once they saw what we were doing with the story and the characters. But I remember at one point in development, there was this kind of like, 
well, aren't players just going to turn it off and go get their characters, like, if they're really attached to them? And so there was a lot of, you know, that was a lot of nuance put into that. It's like, okay, well, how do we keep, how do we encourage them to not shut it off? Because you're used to, in games, falling in love with characters, getting that character forever, not having them yanked out from you, or at least not having them yanked out for you when it's your fault for gameplay. So we tried to, as best as we could, you know, pepper them throughout so that as you're losing them, you're meeting new people, and then also make it so that the challenge was, you know, we're never forcing you to die, but it's kind of like, all right, this is a really tough boss, and this is a tough stretch here. So we kind of wanted you to lose Marines occasionally so that you engage with the system. I think if you went through the game, never lost anybody, never experienced a Marine death, it wouldn't feel as immersive as as what we were going for. But yeah, I remember that was one of the trickier parts was how do we strike a balance where we can encourage them to keep going and say goodbye to who might have been their favorite Marine? Wow. I, I Well, it also lends to the replayability, but I'm so impressed with how much thought went into that. That is that is amazing. Oh, yeah. And, and I was actually going to mention, so the, the character portraits were by Chris Pacello, my uh, favorite artist as a kid from comic books. And wow. uh, he... He actually was really instrumental. I think the way that we did the characters is we gave him like, you know, here's the gristled Clint Eastwood character. Here's the emo girl. He really came up with a lot of not just how they looked, but some of their names were just scribbled on the drawings on the sides, some of their personalities. And, and you know, we loved all the stuff he came up with and kind of realized it full of full script. But, yeah, he was not only the uh, uh, the illustrator for all those character portraits. He kind of really co-developed those characters with us. Yeah, I definitely had a note on that. I wanted to mention the the stills. They were amazing. They reminded me of Todd McFarlane's art, which yep. I was a big fan of in the I was a big comic guy in the nineties. But the they were such a so well done and so detailed. And I, I love the kind of exaggerated style of them. Very, very yeah. well done. Yeah, no, he did a fantastic job and really just may again, it's like about going as big as possible without being cartoony. So, you know, all of the characters, you can spot them from a crowd, you can look at them, you instantly know you know, with Sinise and his knives and stuff, you can instantly tell what kind of personality they have. So I love that stuff. A couple more things I want to talk about before we wrap up the discussion on the game. I have to mention the music. And we don't talk about the music a whole lot on CC Portable, but I thought this deserved it. One, I thought the, the atmospheric stuff all throughout the game, really good, very moody. What, what, what's the process like doing the music for a, a video game? So it's it's a lot more back and forth and collaborative now than it was back when we made this game. Um, I remember because now, you know, we just did River City and Megan McDuffie's getting a lot of attention for the soundtrack and she did like over 50 tracks. That's a lot of like slower production, lots of back and forth, lots of feedback. Um, I seem to remember when we were doing the handheld games, it had to be much quicker. And so um, Shin and Multimedia... Um, who's a, a game developer as well. I think they did the music on this one and they had done the work of uh, a lot of our stuff. This, Cause actually this was, this was right before I think Jake Kaufman, who was usually associated with way forward and he did the shovel Knight music too, kind of came back into the studio. So he didn't do this one. Um, but yeah, like typically, you know, the director will come up with a list of, Hey, here's all the tracks I need. And we just know that from experience. So it's like, okay, I want, you know, uh, couple of level tracks for here and a couple of boss battles from here um and then we'll can we'll give those to the composer um they'll then over the next couple of months give us tracks 
and we'll listen to them just like as mp3s and then give them notes and say well can you change this part here can you extend that and just kind of you know they're all typically looping so it also needs to be music that won't get irritating um uh, if you after you've heard it for like you know 10 minutes but yeah that was uh with this one it was really looking at uh the original uh, music specifically for James Cameron's movie saying we want to match this stylistically and I know they pulled a lot of those strings and a lot of those kind of you know horror-y kind of sound effect like big boom, you know kind of mm-hmm. all that stuff in there all the, the percussion and everything um, and yeah I, I thought you know it, 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 it's interesting because back then it was still very limited audio. You're still doing like MIDI sequencing and instrumentations and stuff. Now it's all just, you know, MP3s and waves. And so they can Which is funny because this, yeah. is, this is like less than 10 years ago, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How much and has I changed? Think, I, I, I remember thinking at the time when they did the music, um, some of the music that sounded particularly like the James Cameron stuff was like really bloated in the file size. And I was wondering like, did you guys just grab some of the score? Because it almost seemed like they kind of, mm. pulled, like some of the strings felt so identical to the movie that I always wondered if, if maybe the composer just kind of grabbed some snippets from the actual movies. That's funny. And we, of course, we have to talk about the end credits song. So <laughs> you, you talk about you beat the game, right? You get you get the dialogue, and typically at the end of the game, there, there's a sense of elation, but there's also kind of this disappointment that sets in as soon as you see the credits start rolling. It's like, Oh, it's done. You got, and then you guys hit us with this amazing <laughs> song. I wish there was a camera on my face when that song came on. I, was like, I, I think I'm, I think I played this at the beginning of this podcast in full. I'm pretty sure that's how I'm going to edit it because I don't want anyone to miss. And I usually play like the, the credits theme at the beginning of a show and I'm pretty sure I'm going to play the whole thing. Yeah. Because <laughs> no, uh, that was really our, our producer, uh, Jeff Pomegranate. Um, he found, and I don't remember the name of the band, but basically there was a band on YouTube and they had a, a song that was Alien versus Predator. And it was most of the lyrics or about half the lyrics that made it into ours um, were in that song. And it was, it was just very clever and very fun. And, and so he said, we should end with this. And, and he reached out to those guys and basically we hired them to take out the predator portions and rewrite it. So it was just top to bottom aliens. And yeah, it was great. I mean, like now, now it's pretty standard for a way forward game. Now you play our most recent stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, Shantae half genie hero and uh, river city girls and stuff like that. We're usually leading with vocal songs. We usually have vocal songs for the credits, but that was pretty, pretty unusual back then, especially coming out of the, you know, the DS speakers, which are not really made for, you know, full Absolutely. vocal audio. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we just, we wanted, it was just this crazy idea that, uh, that our producer had and, and I loved it. And so we, we got them to record it. We dropped it in and, and it was just this perfect little ending to the game. Absolutely. It was just this, this, what a treat, you know, like I said, you, you, you beat the game, you're kind of coming down and then you, I'm like, what is this song? Like what, <laughs> what, what is going on right now? And I, I looked it up immediately after that. I was like, I have to somehow download this. This is like the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. I'll see. Great. You know, I, went from, I'm sorry, I wonder ahead. if we, I wonder if we've ever, you know, I'll have to find it. We might, if I can find the source file, the source MP3, I'll, I'll send it your guys way. Because um, I, I, I doubt that's ever been released. Yeah, I don't think so. You can find it on YouTube. And it's 
amazing. I, I look at the lyrics and everything. The yeah, even on YouTube, it's probably pulled from the game, though. I probably sure, have the yes. source version somewhere. Oh, wow. Wow. That would be great. I would appreciate that. Uh, so the last thing I want to end with, uh, as far as the game is concerned, we mentioned the knife game earlier. Yep. And this is just another, it's again, this is the attention to detail you guys had is just unmatched, is brilliant. So the knife game, obviously this is very famous from the Aliens film with Bishop doing the pa 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 uh, doing the knife in between the fingers, and you use the stylus for it. And it's almost yep. just, it's presented like a old school arcade game. Uh, and it's so fun. I mean, where, where did that come from? <laughs> Um, you know, it might've been like you guys were mentioning before, it might've been us saying like, you know, well, we really should try and do some stylus thing. Um, I don't remember. I, you know, it probably would have just, it definitely wasn't in the original pitches. It probably would have just been something that either me or one of the other designers came up with along the way and, you know, made ourselves laugh over. I remember I personally did the, uh, the art for the table, so I remember because I, I impressed, uh, I think it was Gearbox said like, you know, we, we, we love the knife game, but we love the fact that you got the cornbread in there. Like they were, they love the fact that you actually had the cornbread <laughs> right. on the table. And yeah, it was just, it was, you know, trying to, I think we had the, the, the rifle off to one side and the cornbread on the other side and the hand in the middle. Um, yeah, it just, it just seemed right. And it, and it, and it, you know, it was, it's a very memorable moment and, the Cameron movie, but nothing that we would be able to fit into our game because it's little pixel characters. Sure. And then, uh, and, and I'm sure you guys have seen it, but, uh, if not, I'll, I'll send it to you. But years later, uh, actually no, not from maybe only like a year or so after the game was released, somebody went to, uh, uh, Lance Henriksen at a convention and got him to play the game. And so there's <laughs> a, there's a, there's a photo of Lance Henriksen playing the knife, uh, mini game on, on the that Nintendo DS. Yes. So cool. Fantastic. So the game comes out, right? It's 2011. Game comes out. It's being really well received. What are you feeling? What 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 happens when you're at the end of a game cycle? It's it's all done. It's out of your hands now. Yeah, it's it's always kind of like it's a little weird because by the time a game comes out because of manufacturing times and because of how long you know QA takes and everything we've we've already moved on to the other you know the next project we're already like 3 or 4 months into our next thing so it's kind of like oh yeah that thing um and you're you're you know you're never able to like you know I wish it was that you submit it and then the next day everybody you know plays it and stuff and you know there actually there are some opportunities for that if we're doing like little experimental PC games sometimes there's that immediacy but yeah anything with like a manufacturing cart so I mean, especially this one, we had finished it a year earlier mm -hmm. and then we finished it again and then it was out. So it was good to see, you know, people reacting to it and definitely, you know, it's, it's, you wonder if they're gonna, if the stuff that you put the effort into is going to resonate. And so, you know, hearing the people like, you know, stuff like the knife game or the people like the end song, like those are things that, you know, you put extra effort into them. And so when they get called out, it makes you feel really good. Um, but yes, people, people seem to dig it. And I think also it was like, because it was coming out around the same time or, you know, slightly before the, the colonial Marines game, which had some troubles. Um, it was kind of a contrast thing. So it was like, everyone would say, you know, Oh, here's our review for the console game, but man, you should totally also check out this <laughs> handheld one. Um, and also it was, it was fun to, I like, I like juxtaposition in games. And so I like the idea of we're having this super bloody super violent aggressive 
you know, people permadeathing like left and right. And it's these little pixel characters. I think that was really fun. And it was fun to work on the, uh, the death moments where the aliens would grapple with you. And if you fail the A button mashing, they would like, you know, puncture through your head or bite out half your stomach and stuff. Doing stuff like that is, was really fun in pixel because, you know, we, we don't, we don't typically do super violent games, like not unless the, the license begets it. And that was one where it was kind of fun to kind of play with like the bloodier end of the, the way forward spectrum. Yeah. So you were happy <laughs> with the game. Uh, I think so. Like if, if I were to pick it up right now, I would immediately be able to point out 50 things I hate about it or like, you know, because the other thing is I've directed, I don't know, probably 10 games since then. So I've gotten better at bosses and enemies and, mm-hmm. you know, storytelling and stuff like that. It's definitely, I think one of the better games I've done. Um, and the team that I had, they just, everybody did a really good job on it. Um, but yeah, you, you know, it's, it's like anything you work on. You can never divorce yourself from seeing all the faults that you didn't quite have time or, or resources to, to iron out off the top of your head. Do you have anything that you remember that you would change right now? Uh, no, I think, I think compared to, uh, current way forward games, I would say, I think like the, the way we did the enemies and the bosses, I think they, they did a good job thematically. So it's like, Oh man, there's the King alien and Mm -hmm. here's the, the elephantian as we called him. And you know, all of these things, like they're very, very visually impressive. I think their gameplay probably could have had a little more nuance to it or creativity. It's a lot of just kind of bullet sprays. So that's something that like, you know, with the enemies and bosses, if we were to do a sequel now, I think we would put a little more gaminess into how those bosses are behaving around you rather than just kind of doing their thing and, and you know, sucking the, up your bullets. More more like patterns, you know, that you have yeah. to figure out rather like than if you just... look at Exactly. If you yeah, look at like recent way forward games like Mommy or Shantae or River City Girls, very pattern based bosses, lots of very clear telegraphing on their attacks and stuff. Right. But you know, I, I'm I'm definitely very proud of it. It's I think it's a I think it's a fun little game, and I think it, it came out really well. And I really love how how well received it was, and how much you know it seemed to resonate with people. So you know, any complaints I had would be pretty minor. Well, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about right now because Adam and Duke, are you ready for the three questions of Doom? <laughs> oh gosh, I hope so. Question number 1, is this a good portable game? And let's start with Adam. I I would say yes because I think we crammed a lot of content into it and it's also fairly bite-sized um just to throw out one one little tidbit this is one of the first games that i took an approach on that i do on most of my games now there are no tile sets in the game the way that we make the worlds in this game and a lot of other way forward games is we lay out the world and then the artists just go crazy drawing on top of it so rather than like you know seeing the same mario style blocks over and over you would get these weird areas where it's like the virtual atrium and the holding cells and the mm-hmm. bathroom. So yeah, like I, I think I would say, uh, uh, I think it's good in so much how, how many like worlds and locations and, and the stuff there is for a handheld game. I thought that that came out pretty good. Duke. Absolutely. It's a great hand- handheld game. It's like you said, bite-sized. It's perfect for if you're on a train or something or laying in your bed. 
absolutely perfect for uh, handheld play. I agree. You you know you you can pick it up for fifteen minutes. The save rooms. Uh, once you learn the map, you can get to a save room. Easy to to pick up and play. Pause. Come back to it a few hours later or the next day. Uh, absolutely. Question number two: Should this game belong in your collection, Duke? Well, of course. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> maybe, maybe two copies. Oh well, that's high praise, Adam. You can afford it. <laughs> uh, only if you are older than thirteen, because it can get pretty bloody. So I, I wouldn't encourage a five-year-old to own this game. But yeah, it's very responsible of you. Very responsible. You can give your extra copy to Duke. <laughs> I absolutely think this game should belong in your collection. I've been getting more strict about this on recent podcasts, and I'll be honest, some of the games that we've played that I've said, no, this doesn't belong in your collection, I've gotten rid of. I, I you know, I treat my collection, this thing is my little treasure trove, you know, <laughs> and I want it to be all treasure. So if it's something that ain't worthy, get out of here. Question number three, and this is the big one, out of five, five being perfect, how would you rate this game? And let's start with Adam. Oh, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I don't even see how I can be remotely objective on this. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll rate, you know, I'll rate it on a scale of not perfection, but on a scale of my game. So if, you know, the best games I've ever done have been a five and the worst have been a one, I would, I would give this like a, three five or a four i think this is definitely on the upper end of the spectrum all things considered of the games that i've i've worked on here that's very humble of you duke where do you stand i give this game a solid five it's it's probably my favorite portable game wow and uh are you just saying that because adam's here no are you just saying that because adam's (laughs) here come on let's be honest Come on now, I I, I uh, I've been begging you to play this game because I love it so much. Um, That's true. So you know there are very few things that I could find that I don't like about the game. I'd really have to kind of dig hard and, and nitpick. Um, it's again partially maybe because I'm such a fan of the franchise, like I mentioned before. But I had so much fun playing the game. Um, a couple of things we didn't mention yet, but the background art is just fantastic. I love mm-hmm. all the little animations in the background, like where the, the aliens were attacking the. Uh, the people and that x-ray scene that you come across <laughs> and just little things like that. Just the attention to detail and uh, the music and everything about the game is just, it's fantastic. So I give it, I give it a solid five. Very well. Well, I've been considering how I rate the games and it wasn't until I think last August when we did the angry video game, uh, nerd adventures that I really started thinking when they set out to make a certain type of game and with angry video game nerd, it was interesting because they set out to make it be a very difficult, almost bad game in it's how, how hard it was. And in that way, I think they succeeded. And so I gave it a five and I was thinking about this game and I don't, I don't dole out fives very often. A lot of games are four, but it's very rare that I give out a five. However, I feel this game, what you guys set out to do, you've really accomplished in spades. And 
that goes back to all the little tiny details. It's the devil's in the details, and you guys absolutely nailed it from the knife game, you know, the the blood, the the acid blood touching you. It's all these little things that create this larger world, this this, you know, that paints this giant picture. And I think he accomplished it. So to give it less than a five, I think would be doing it a disservice. <laughs> and I'm not doing this because you're here, Adam. You just got lucky that you happened to create a game that was five. That was a five. And and I say that honestly because I feel everyone should seek this out and play it. It belongs to your collection. This is a perfect Aliens game. This absolutely represents the franchise in the best way possible. Well, thank Amen. you, guys. I will definitely, I will take your fives with a, a huge grin on my face. <laughs> well, well deserved. And with that, I say game over, man. Game over, because we are done talking about Aliens Infestation. But we're not done talking to Adam, because as you know, this is the part of the show where if you dug this game and you want to check out more games like it, uh, we usually tell you, well, hey, check this out and check that out. And I thought, since we got Adam here, and you've worked on all these other games, instead of maybe going in the alien direction, like here's some other great alien games, I'd rather go in an Adam direction. Adam, you've worked on so many wonderful games. What games of yours should we check out? Um, I think, so especially coming off of Aliens, I'd say there are probably two that, that are accessible right now. You can still get them. You don't have to go to GameStop and, and buy a really old copy. Um, but I would say first, um, and I didn't direct this, this is directed by another director here named Austin, but I would say for anybody who likes our Metroidvania games or likes a game like this, check out the game we did uh, about a couple years ago called Mummy Demastered. And it was an interesting one where it was initially supposed to be kind of, it's semi-based on the, the Tom Cruise movie, which ended up being a huge flop. But what was interesting is, we always decided from the beginning to differentiate it. So it doesn't star that character. It stars kind of the society that, you know, was kind of on the, the sidelines of it. It's just a really good modern Metroidvania game from way forward. You see some of our best pixel art, um, really good boss designs, really interesting mechanics, kind of going back to the permadeath. Um, one of the few things that I kind of helped shape on, on the Mummy game was the idea of, when your character dies, you leave behind a zombie version of that soldier, and then you have to go kill that zombie version to get your stuff back, mm -hmm. to get all your loot back. And so kind of plays with some of the similar themes. Um, it's, you know, a, our Aliens game was sort of a follow-up to our Contra game, and I feel like this, the Mummy game that we did uh, two years ago is sort of our follow-up to Aliens. So Mummy Demastered, definitely check that out. And then uh, the other one is the game that I just... Uh, finished directing my most recent effort is called River City Girls and so that's way forward putting our spin on the Kunio Kun River City Ransom formula and that was just a blast a lot of the same artists and animators that worked on Aliens Infestation ended up working on that um, very similar game in terms of just like try to put a lot of environmental storytelling so no matter where you go it feels like a fresh area and there's lots of cool little secrets to uncover very different tone of course it's very silly very over the top if you've ever seen like you know like a kill a kill anime or anything where it's like the goofy or crazy action stuff it's more like that um but yeah I, I really love how that one came out and you know everything that we did well in uh river city girls 
a lot of those systems we tried for the first time in Aliens kind of cut our teeth on them, and now we're getting really refined at it. So, um, yeah, I would say of the recent way forward stuff, Mummy Demastered, if you want to play a really classic, dark Metroidvania game, and then if you want something lighter and funnier, but it's still got that kind of Metroidvania structure and some really fantastic combat, um, go check out River City Girls, and both of those are available right now. On what platforms can we find those? Both of those are PC and console games. And so you can get them at Steam or GOG, and then you can get them on PS4, Switch, and Xbox One. Well, there you go. Fantastic. Yeah, I've played a little bit of River City Girls, and it is phenomenal. The (laughs) the art style is great, and it's really funny. Oh, Uh, thank you. All all the dialogue stuff is great. Yeah, I really like that. But I have to check out the Mummy one. I don't think I'm familiar with the Mummy one. I, I do want to play that. Oh yeah, no, it's it, it's a really good one. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I I like I said, I, I helped a little bit at the beginning, but I mostly wasn't on the team, so I got to see it as a finished product. And man, those guys, those guys just you know blew it out of the the knocked it out of the park as far as the art style and the animation and the atmosphere. I, I think they just did a phenomenal job on it. Well, fantastic. There you go. And that's it for Aliens Infestation. We are done. But before we go, we got a little housekeeping to do, and that's to talk about what's coming up in the Cartridge Club. So uh, coming up in Prime, even though this is coming out a little bit late, this was our November podcast, so they're right in the middle of playing this game. Uh, They're going to be playing... mm, No, sorry. Yeah, they played Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater last month. In November, so check out that podcast. And this month, they're playing Knights of the Old Republic, uh, which is very fun. Of course, we're celebrating Star Wars in December with the release of Rise of the Skywalker. Uh, and then in the Quick Save Club, they are playing, they just played Age of Empires. And this month, they're playing, <laughs> this is silly, D Simber. So you can play any Sim game out there. <laughs> uh that you want to play i believe what what duke what was uh kevin playing he's playing like truck simulator or something yes truck simulator Um, american truck simulator yeah i think that's what it's called uh so if you are interested in that join in there and then of course of course in portable uh in december we're playing star wars episode 3 revenge of the sith on the game boy advance again with the star wars theme and that's a wonderful game if you have not played it have either of you guys played that game before I don't know if I played that one. Duke? No, I have not. It is fantastic. It's a Star Wars beat-em-up, and Mm. I'm playing through it right now. I can't believe the level of depth and complexity in the combat and, like, the Force abilities. They go all out. It's it's really something. I'm really surprised. And the quality of the film, wherever you stand on that, is not indicative of the game. The game is fantastic. Uh, So check it out if you get a chance. Okay, I will. And then coming up in January, we're going mobile for the first time ever playing some mobile games, but we're sticking close to home. We're playing Nintendo mobile games, and I have decided we're not doing just one. We're going to do the three big Nintendo mobile games. That's going to be Mario Run, uh, Mario Kart Tour, and Dr. Mario World. We're going to dive into all three kind of controversial games, so I'm looking forward to talking about those. And then in February, we had our Who Do You Love poll again, pitting Zelda and Samus against each other. Uh, the score is now 1-1 because the first time Metroid won, but this time Zelda won, which means we're playing Legend of Zelda A Link Between Worlds on the 3DS. Fantastic game if you've never yes. played that. Fantastic game. 
And then finally, uh, for March Madness 2020, that's one of my favorite uh, times of the year for CC Portable, where we don't just pick one game, we pick a system, and you can play anything on that. This year, we're going crazy. We're doing LCD games. So anything Tiger, handheld electronics, <laughs> Game & Watch, all those old LCD games, even if you want to pick up the Game Boy versions of the Game & Watch gallery to play some of those old Game & Watch games, because Game & Watch are expensive to get the real deal, you can absolutely go and do that. I want to hear about all of your memories from childhood playing these games. Everybody seemed to have a Tiger handheld at one point or another in their life, and I just want you guys to send in all of your thoughts and memories and reviews, anything that you can think of that reminds you of LCD games. I want to hear it, and we'll talk about it on that podcast. And that's what's coming up in the Cartridge Club. With that, uh, check out the Cartridge Club at cartridgeclub.org where you can talk with us on the forums or in the Discord or many other ways, but that's a good place to get you started, so check that out. Of course, you can always find me on Twitter at CCPortableUnite where you can let me know what games you want to play or if you want to be a special guest like uh, my friend Adam here or a guest host like my friend Duke here. And speaking of you two, where can we find you? Let's start with Duke. I'm on Twitter uh, at Duke0619 and uh, retro nonsense on youtube we got any new retro nonsense uh videos in the pipeline yeah there's one in the pipeline yeah i'm gonna be doing um gonna have a special guest on my next one is this and, uh, uh stuck in the 80s yeah yeah gotcha and it's gonna be on um action shows from the 80s is this like, an ex is this an exclusive we're getting right now i think it is yeah cc portable <laughs> exclusive oh. it is <laughs> i'm honored Yes. Uh, great. That's, all can, that's all I can say right now. That's all you have to say. Well, check out Duke uh, on YouTube, Retro Nonsense, fantastic channel. What about you, Adam? Where can we find you? Oh, I'm I'm boring. I'm nowhere. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I think I'm only on Twitter. Uh, so if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Adam Tierney WF. Um, and uh, actually, yeah, I, I'll, you know, I'll talk to you about WayForward Games or video game development or anything else. Absolutely. So if you got any questions that we didn't answer here, feel free to reach out to Adam. I hope I'm okay in saying this. Feel free to reach out to Adam and ask him. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Great. Uh, with that, I will say thank you, gentlemen, for being here. This was a wonderful podcast. I was so happy that we finally got to play this game and talk about it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This was fantastic, guys. Yes, Absolutely. thank you for having me on as well. This was a real, a real treat. Absolutely. And we will see you guys next month for Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. CC Unite. Unite.